1: Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this best of Fresh Take featuring Dr.
0: Becky Kennedy. I really love this episode. A lot of you know Dr. Becky from her fantastically successful Instagram and her podcast. And she really talks about this very simple but kind of revolutionary idea of approaching our kids as their allies and just seeing them as a kid who's having a problem rather than being a problem as amy likes to say.
1: Yes. And for me, you know that they're they're good inside basically. And for me the aha moment was like, oh, and so am I, right? I'm doing my best. Like give myself a break when I don't handle a situation perfectly with my kids that I'm still good inside. I'm still I'm still doing this the best way. Because I can get very stuck in proving that I, that I had good intentions or that I know I was right or you should have. I, I, I don't know. I can get stuck there and it doesn't matter. You're good inside. I'm good inside.
0: And so therefore the formula, instead of becoming like, why are you acting like this? Why are you a bad kid? Her formula becomes, I have a kid who is fill in the blank, spitting, hitting, yelling. That makes me wonder what is going on with this kid. Versus that once you take like, oh, my kid is being a jerk because I have this kid who is acting badly, that you replace that with a curiosity about if my kid is doing this, it makes me wonder what is going on with them. Yeah. And that we sort of start attacking. The root causes, rather than just going crazy looking at behavior that is driving us nuts all the time.
1: Yeah, and and rather globalizing, right? Like I have a I have a child who doesn't respect me instead of like I have a child who whose blood sugar precipitously dips if we wait until seven o'clock to have dinner instead of six thirty. Let's try this again after dinner. This conversation. So often, right? There's there's some little there's some little thing. Something is up. We like to say when you say, "What's wrong with this kid." you need to stop and be like, right, what's wrong with this kid? Something's wrong. You need to fix what's wrong with the environment or whatever. And then you'll usually ameliorate the behavior as well. It's nice to hear an expert say that.
0: And it takes in so many of the things. I feel like there's a lot of themes that we've come across in Fresh Takes. One is breaking patterns, right? Like we were parented a certain way and can we break those patterns? And what behaviors of ours are results of the way that we were parented, and how do we break those patterns. And also getting on the same team with our kids. Like, mm-hmm, let's figure mm-hmm. out together why this is difficult versus kind of seeing our kid as the enemy or the problem. And I think that the way that she explains it, it seems so simple, and yet it feels felt and feels re-listening to it. Kind of revolutionary to me, the idea of like, what if we approach this as let's figure this out together versus you will respect my authority, which is a right, little bit right. the my default
1: spot. Where you can get stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Okay, guys, here's Dr. Becky. <music> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the face of motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Dr. Becky Kennedy. She is a clinical psychologist and mom of three who is rethinking the way we raise our children. She's the host of Good Inside with Dr. Becky, which was named by Apple Podcasts as one of the best podcasts of 2021. She also empowers more than a million parents who follow her on Instagram at Dr. Becky at Good Inside. Dr. Becky specializes in thinking deeply about what's happening for kids and translating these ideas into simple, actionable strategies for parents. Her new book is Good Inside, A Guide to Becoming the Parent You Want to Be. Welcome, Dr. Becky.
2: Thank you so much for having me. What a really lovely intro. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm feeling good Zero about myself. Intros are Amy's specialty. <laughs> oh, I had a
1: hard morning with my kids, you know, so always need a little pick me up. We are all moms of three. How old are your kids, Dr. Becky? 10, 7, and 5. Okay, so you win littlest here. I win oldest. I have three teenagers, 19, 18. He turned 18 and 14. And I
0: have, my uh, littlest is your oldest. I have 10, 12, 13. I started kind of late and I was like, I better get to it. And then four years later, I said, (laughs) this plan is going a little too well. Let's calm down. Uh
1: So you're not only a mom, you're also a clinical psychologist who was trained in treating both kids and parents. And you say in the beginning of the book that you became sort of disillusioned over time with some of what they call the gold standard approaches that you were taught in your clinical training to approach discipline. Can you tell us about that?
2: Yeah. You know, I was... At the time, I was a new mom myself. And I was seeing adults in my private practice. So while I had trained with kids in my grad school, my private practice was focused on intensive once or twice a week therapy with adults. And with adults, you know, I I always feel like they came to therapy essentially they didn't say this, but with a set of struggles where things that worked for them early on, ways they had to adapt to their childhood early on, were starting to work against them. And I think that's always true with us adults. And yet, understandably, and in some ways with gratitude, our body is hesitant to let go of the things that were put in place to protect us. And so that's often why we go to therapy. We never say that's why, but that's usually why all of us go, right? Even though the quote symptoms on the surface look different.
1: But I've never heard it put that way, just that like you, the strategies you, that you put in place for yourself to survive your childhood work perfectly wrongly when you become a parent yourself. I never thought of it that way.
2: Yeah. It's why I even say... It's not like I don't believe in symptoms, but I find like symptoms and diagnosis, it it pathologizes things in adults that were adaptations early on. And then in adult therapy, I feel like it's a process of rewiring, right? Of kind of acknowledging the things that used to help you and no longer do and helping our body feel safe enough to make changes. And at the same time as I was doing that, I had my own son at that time. And... I loved, you know, working with parents and I loved doing something a little different from therapy, which was like parent coaching. Parents would say, hey, maybe I even have my own therapist or I'm not interested in therapy, but I'm struggling with my kid. And I actually, I don't really think my kid even needs the therapist as much as like, I just need your help helping my kid. Right. So then I was thinking, okay, this is kind of like a little new for me, even though I think I didn't realize at the time, like it's actually not that different in some ways than so many of the themes that would come up in therapy or other areas. I said, like, I'm going to go get more training. And so I did. I went to this kind of gold standard, evidence-based parent coaching program And at first, I really mean, it's like I loved everything they taught because like there's something about the behavioral approach that just lights up the logic parts of your brain and your brain's like feeding on you like, this is amazing. I'm going to change the world. This makes so much sense. It's so linear. And I like linear things. You know, who doesn't? And so it was all about timeouts and punishments and rewards and sticker charts and ignoring and, and reinforcement. And essentially, how do you help kids or how do you change kids is you get more of the good you get less of the bad and voila. And so I did this program and then I went back to my private practice. Like, okay, I can take on more coaching clients. I'm so prepared. I have all these strategies. And, and I really did hear myself with one of them, giving advice. I was just like, I don't believe in this. Like it's coming out, but like, I don't believe in this. I would never do this with my own kid. And mostly also after years of working with adults, there's no part of this that I would ever recommend to adults in therapy. Like this is so different. The way I help adults and helping kids can't be a one eighty from helping adults. Like we're more similar than we are different, us adults and children. And so, I literally, in in my practice, I was like describing giving a timeout and sticker charts or something. And I literally said to this poor couple, "Like, I'm sorry, I don't believe anything I'm telling you." And they were like. Well, that's (laughs) disconcerting. And I was like, the only thing I can promise you right now is I'm not going to charge you for this session. But like, I have a feeling in a couple of weeks, I just have to like clear my mind because I was like, this just, this isn't the way, like you see a behavior on the surface of a kid. And yes, that is a signal to you of something they're struggling with, but that's not the whole story. Just like we know if you have a leak in your ceiling, if you think the solution is to put duct tape on that leak, like even if it does... Stop the leak temporarily. Like I don't think any adult think that's a great home improvement strategy. Like you got to get to the source. And is it hard to get to the source? Is it, you know, maybe timely sometimes? Yes, but I don't think any of us doubts that still it's just the only way. Like you can't just forever duct tape. So the thing that you were
0: seeing that was disconnected for you is that people were coming in and maybe saying like my kid has a temper and you were trying to attack the kid's temper. What did you see as the symptoms that were disconnected for you?
2: So a couple of things. So why is my six year old not listening to anything I say? I say to, you know, put your shoes on, they don't do it. I say to clean their room. Like, and then you can see you can get into this whole awful uh, kind of negative cycle with them, right? So they don't listen. Then you feel internally, you're like, I kind of hate my kid, or I have a rude kid, I have an obnoxious kid. Then you look at them as the enemy. When you look at someone as the enemy, you treat them like the enemy. Then you're like, You don't listen to anything I say. You know, you're I don't know, not going to get TV for a week. And then you're like, I don't even want to say that. Like, why did I say that? Okay. I guess I have to not give my kid... (laughs) Now I'm in hell because I can't actually let my kid watch TV.
0: Like, oh, the times those came out of my mouth. And I was like, no. Exactly.
2: Then you're like, I guess I'll give you a sticker chart every time you listen. But then you're like, what am I doing? Like listening for anything? Like, okay, I guess I'm getting a sticker. And then they're like, I should have gotten a sticker for that one. Now I'm fighting about the sticker. Like what is happening? And the listening problem which is the thing someone presents with. My kids never listens. Like that is a really important window in my mind into something a child is struggling with or actually into probably something your relationship with that child is struggling with. Because here's what we forget as an example in listening. Why don't I listen to my husband? Let's say that. Like if I was sitting on the couch reading a book, which I like never do, but it's a fantasy.
0: Let's say I did it. Let's imagine a world in which that's possible.
2: And if my husband is like, Becky, please go get me a glass of water. And if I was like, "Mm, no, like you can get yourself water or something like that. Or even I was like, no, I'm reading. If he was like, you have a listening problem and you can't watch TV for a week. I'd be like, I don't really think that's the problem. Like I didn't do the thing you wanted me to do. And you seem frustrated, but I don't think I'm your enemy here. In that situation, I think we all know if my partner is like, Hey, I see you sitting. You look like you've had a long day. Like, I'd really appreciate it if you oh, got me a glass of water, or even if earlier in that day, he was really listening to me about something and I found him very supportive, I probably would do it. I think that's an example where we see something on the surface of behavior. And then we can so easily with the kid take a quote, bad behavior and really believe that like, that's the type of person my kid is. My kid is the behavior. And this goes to the term good inside, which is the title of my book. Like, I have a good kid who's not listening to me. I have a good kid who's hitting her brother. I have a good kid who's having massive tantrums every time I say no. Huh, I wonder what's going on. I wonder what skills my kid is missing. I wonder what my kid needs my help with. I wonder what my role is in these hard moments just to at least stop the damage before we can work on those larger skills. Like Now we're talking. Now we're seeing what's happening on the surface as a signal into what my child needs, into what else might be going on in their life. Maybe they're having tantrums because kids are mean to them at school. And guess what? I can punish them for having tantrums. I don't think anyone think that's going to help my kid feel supported at school. And when we allow ourselves to have that kind of curiosity about kind of, again, a symptom in a way being a signal not a symptom being the whole truth, then we open ourselves up to being able to intervene
1: in a completely different way. You say that there are things that get in the way because on the surface, like, of course, our kids are good inside. Of course, we are good inside and want the best for our kids and want to be good parents. So what gets in the way of that? Why don't we just naturally feel that way all the time?
2: Well, (laughs) it's a great question. I mean, I think there's there's so many different things. So why don't we see someone as good inside when they're struggling? I think we can start by asking ourselves, what is it like for me when I'm having a hard time? When I'm having a hard time, when I yelled at someone, when I told myself I would work out and didn't get up and, you know, instead ate bonbons in bed, like. Do I say to myself, wow, like I'm a good person struggling to get motivation. I wonder what's going on for me. Or do we say some other choice words that we probably wouldn't even say to anyone else, right? And why do we do that? Why do we approach our own struggles with blame instead of kind of some version of boundaries and compassion? Well, probably because our struggles in our childhood were met that way by our parents, right? So there's this intergenerational legacy, I think, of seeing, quote, bad behavior as a sign of identity. Rather than assuming identity is inherently good and that doesn't make the behavior okay. Oh, so cause my kid's good inside, it's okay that they hit. Like, no, of course not. It's not what I'm saying. Those aren't our only two options, punish or make it okay. Your kid is good inside. Now you have to step in as an authority, but I really do believe we can practice having compassion for other people and for ourselves under our not so ideal behavior. And not only do I think that's possible, <laughs> it's like the biggest paradox. I think the only way we change is by actually doing that. So it's not just a nice to have, it's actually all about being effective. I want to pivot to something
0: that you just said that I think is another problem that gets in people's way. We're talking to Dr. Becky, whose
1: book is Good Inside, and we'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers.
0: share ideas and give advice. And one of the things I can always hear people listening and thinking about is, but I don't have time. It's so hard. I just want them to get their shoes on. I don't want to know what's the internal trauma and motivation. I just want to get to the store with my three kids. One of the things that you say is slow down. I'm good inside. And I think that that for a lot of listeners, and I know for myself, is where I lose this a lot of the times. I don't have time to fix anything. I have to get to my next thing was shoes on.
2: Yes. Like just as a parent myself, yes. And I hear that all the time, not from other parents, just in my own head with my own kids. Like, I don't have time for this. You know, what's my thought about that? I think how we look at time is tricky, right? Sometimes in the moment, we have to just do whatever we need to do and survive. Like we all need to give ourselves permission, right? And I think we all know in so many areas of life, a little bit of preparation saves us time. Because I'm parents like I don't have time to say to myself, wait, I can do this, I'm good inside. And I definitely don't have time to say to my kid, oh, you really wanted that block, you know, or something, instead of, why are you hitting Bobby? Or whatever we'd say. Here's the thing I think we often forget. So instead I yell at my kid. Like That saves people time because I know usually what happens after you yell. Then you yell, you're dysregulated. Then your kid gets more dysregulated. Then you are losing even more time because you're in a guilt spiral and a shame spiral and you're reacting like... I don't know any parent who's like the most efficient, time-effective way when I feel really good about my use of time is when I'm just reactive and explosive. I've never heard someone say that. So when parents are like, I don't know if I have time, what I actually think is happening, and I think this is very, very true. This is like learning a a different language. Learning a different language feels awkward. If I was really trying to speak another language fluently, I would catch myself speaking English and then having to pause. I'd think about saying something in Mandarin and have to like repeat it to myself a couple times before it came out. But if Mandarin is my most effective language with my kids, I can speak all the English I want naturally, but I'm probably just adding time given that English is not going to get me to the place I want to get. So yes, it takes time. And I promise
1: it saves so much more time. This is sort of the idea that you return to again and again in the book, that two things can be true. I used this approach just last night. One of my big kids was really just recalcitrant and would not send this email that they really need to send. And we've been talking about it for days. It's so annoying that mom keeps bringing it up, you know, that kind of thing. My point of view is like, just send email and we don't have to talk about it anymore. What is the problem? But I thought about this last night because I was reading the book that two things can be true, right? From where I stand, it would be so much easier to spend 45 seconds doing this thing and it never has to be discussed again. And from where my kid is standing, there's something getting in the way. And that is also true. That's also valid, even if I don't like it or agree with it.
2: And what I love about that whole framework turned into a strategy of two things are true is it really allows us to acknowledge our kid and ourselves. Right. And this I think is one of the things I really do feel like has been absent is that parenting books are all about the kid, which like I think the one, one of the biggest things we struggle with as parents is the way that we lose ourselves to our kids in this important job and the way that, of course, we want to be there for our kids, we want to support them. Well, there's a paradox that the more we neglect the other parts of ourselves and our feelings and our reality, actually, the more likely over time, we're just going to show up as a triggered, resentful, rageful parent, because we're kind of fighting an internal battle. And I think the reason really that good inside and everything we do is really struck a chord with people as I think and parents have said this to me. I feel like you care about me as much as you care about my kid. Like I feel like your parenting guidance cares about me feeling sturdy as much as it cares about helping my kid build sturdiness. Thank goodness finally there's a parenting approach that cares about the parent. I think I really needed that when I became a parent too. The way that every parent and I think traditionally, historically, especially women, we've thought on some subconscious level that we can fill ourselves up by pouring ourselves out. I think these days, people are like, yeah, like that's really not working. It's never worked. It's like really not working now. It's always easier to know what we don't want to do than to know what we can do instead. Okay. I know I don't want to be that parent, but like, what do I do? And I think things like two things are true and kind of these concrete steps help parents feel like there's a different way.
0: You hear this sort of echoes of, oh, so anything goes with kids, I guess. Like it's all about respecting kids and the sort of, you know, chorus saying, oh, I guess nowadays, like we have to respect kids as if that somehow it's just going to become a free for all where like the kid can throw food and you're like, I understand you're feeling upset. And that's a parody of what you're talking about. So let's drill down a little bit on what you're actually talking about in terms of these interactions with our kids.
2: Yes to that. I hear that all the time. And again, I think it's actually like such a bigger struggle than in parenting. Like most humans have a really hard time. We have a really hard time holding two seemingly oppositional thoughts at once. We see that politically. (laughs) We see that in every area of life. So the idea that, wait, I can respect a kid's feelings and still hold on to my authority is almost like this mind-blowing idea. Cause it feels like, okay, if I respect my kids' feelings, that means they can throw food all over the kitchen. No, but it also means that there's other options and saying what is wrong with you. Go to your room. There's so many things between those buckets. Whoever's listening, like visualize those two buckets. Like on my left side is a bucket that says go to your room. On the right side is, okay, throw and hit away because your feelings are, you know, worthy of respect. Okay. Like I see those two things and like, let me just separate my hands further than they are to be like, there's a lot of room there's a lot of room. So what's in between that? Here's the thing about good inside. It's why actually I rail against when people ask me about gentle parenting, because I don't have anything wrong with the word gentle, but no one who knows me well would be like, Becky is a gentle human being. (laughs) Like It's just not the first adjective they would say. And I think, again, that speaks to what is in between. Good inside both respects kids' feelings and teaches parents how to embody their authority. So... Here's how I would describe that. I think everything we talk about at Good Inside comes down to what I call family jobs, right? If you're going to do a job, any job, definitely if you're going to do it well, you have to know what your job description is. Like you got to know what it is to know if you're doing well. So I think that's important as a parent to say, well, what is my JD? Like what is my job description? And I believe parents' jobs in general are setting boundaries, providing empathy, and offering validation. Boundaries, empathy, validation, like over and over and over again. That boundaries part is really key in explaining why you wouldn't just let your kid throw food all over the place. Let's say my kid is throwing food in the kitchen in that example. I'd be like, wait, what's my job? What's my job? Boundaries. I won't let you throw food. Those words I'm going to say, I won't let you. Boundaries are what we tell our kid we will do. They're not telling a kid what to do. I always think the way you can know if you're setting a boundary is if you can say yes to this question. Am I telling my child what I'm going to do? And is my child required to do nothing? Stop throwing food. That's not a boundary. Get off the couch. Not a boundary. Because I require your kid to suddenly have self-control, which they don't have. I won't let you jump on the couch. If it's too hard to get off, I'm going to take you off. Oh, that's a boundary. I won't let you throw food is a boundary. And I might take my kid's plate and actually remove it. And when they say, give me my dinner back, I might say, look, it's really, really hard to have food right in front of you and not throw it. I know that's tricky. And so actually, I am just gonna give you one piece of food at a time. And then tomorrow and the next day, we'll practice having more because I know that's really, really hard to do. I'm seeing my kid as a good kid. I'm empathizing with them. And I am making that decision. The thing about go to your room, or the thing about, you know, stop hitting your brother. Stop hitting your brother. What's wrong with you? No TV for a week. People are like, you know, that's the opposite of gentle parenting. I always think it's interesting that like sending your young child away from you is looked at as like a sign of parental strength. If I was in a company and there was a employee like having a hard time and the CEO's reaction was get away from me. Like just <laughs> go wait in that room. I'd be like, whoa, like, do you even know what you're doing here? Like sending your child away. And randomly deciding on something that they care about that you're going to take away from them. I know for me, I'm in a desperate place when I do that. And I do that with my kids. But it's always because I feel desperate. It's never because I feel sturdy and strong. And so I think, again, between those two buckets is the strength of setting boundaries and making key decisions. I won't let you throw or TV time is over or yes, this is your bedtime. And then empathizing and validating my kid's emotional experience. So I'm respecting myself and I'm respecting my kid.
1: We're talking to Dr. Becky Kennedy. She is the author of Good Inside and we'll be right back.
0: Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power
1: breakfast is... While Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O oco C-O
0: and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread.
1: If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. So Dr. Becky, I wanted to be sure to get to something you call the MGI, the most generous interpretation, because it reminds me of something Margaret often says on this podcast, which is that you should come for your place of highest generosity. And this seems to me to be very similar, I think. But can you explain what MGI is and how we can use it in our parenting?
2: Yes. So, you know, I love sharing kind of big framework shifts because I actually think, and I love a good strategy and script too as a parent, but it's actually a framework shift that gets us unstuck. It's so like, oh, wow, I didn't look at it that way. And so one framework is the idea that we're good inside and our kids are too. That is actually a big framework shift away from all these more behavioral parenting approaches. But to me, the thing about a framework is I know when I hear a new framework, that actually excites me in any area of life. I'm like, okay, but how do I do the framework? So I like turning a framework into a strategy. And MGI to me is the strategy of the good inside framework. So if my kid is good inside, how do I do that as a strategy? Well, I think I ask myself the question, what is my most generous interpretation of whatever my kid just did that I want to react harshly to? Or what is my MGI most generous interpretation of my behavior that I just engaged in that I'm not really so proud of? And when we ask ourselves the most generous interpretation, what we always do, it's like a hack, is we always end up seeing a behavior as a sign of a struggle rather than a sign of identity. Because it's just easier to come up with the LGI, like the least generous. Why did I yell at my kid? Because I'm a horrible mom. Like you just can come up with that really quickly. Why did my daughter hit her sister? Because she's a sociopath. You know, like we say these things like so fast. We're like, wow, it's such a big leap. And coming up with an MGI, for anyone listening, like if it's hard, it doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. It's truly a different muscle. And it's actually a hard exercise because you have to actually see who a kid is as different than the behavior they just engaged in or who you are as different from the behavior you just engaged in. And so if it's tricky to do that, just remind yourself, well, I am building a new muscle. And if I went to the gym to work a muscle that was totally new, I'd probably find my first set of exercises really, really hard there too. That's just what happens when you build new muscles. We say all the time, like, watch your
0: story. What's the story you're telling yourself? Is the story you're telling yourself, my in-laws were put on the earth to make my life hell? Or is your story like, well, I need to balance a bunch of different families. Just your story is kind of central to how you function through these things. And I think especially with kids, especially with multiple kids, that you can be like, this is my kid who's lazy. This is my kid who's messy. This is my kid. That whatever that default setting in our brain, this is my husband who just gets in our way at home because he doesn't know how we do things here. And I think that this work is something we talk a lot about on the podcast and just the very simple good inside. It's like, what if I believed that my husband was coming in good inside as opposed to coming in to bring problems and confusion and upset. I married a person because I thought he was good. (laughs) The layers
2: that go on top of that, it just happens faster than you realize. So fast. And I think that underneath that, the foundation to that is so powerful, as you said, always. We don't respond to other people's behavior. We respond to the circuit in our body that activates When we witness someone's behavior, that's like a really, really big difference. And it explains why different people have different reactions to the same stimulus. And I always think in that way, like our kids, our partners can be just... They can just be pawns in our game. They're like actors in our play. I think it's easy to then go into, oh, so something's wrong with me. That's often the first thought we have, but it's not ever the truth. It really just means, oh, well, that's actually really empowering because that means if I get to know my own story or my own circuit, then like I can show up totally differently. Even if that person doesn't change their behavior, even if my kid doesn't stop tantruming, I can show up differently. That makes me feel so empowered as a parent, like to know that my growth and also just my family life isn't dependent on my four-year-old changing. Like that's not a good place to be. And then here's the biggest irony. My kid's tantruming and I show up differently. Well, we are all wired in a relational context. So my showing up differently, my child will absorb my calm. My child will absorb my boundary without shame. And guess what? That helps them build coping skills. And at some point when I say, no, we're not having ice cream today because I showed up differently, my child will take a deep breath or say, oh, that's a bummer.
1: Instead of flailing on the floor and having a huge meltdown. So we're teaching our kids that they have the capacity to change. I think sometimes we think we have to lock it down. This kid is misbehaving. It reflects on me. And people do think it reflects on you. You're not crazy to think that. But that if you don't hurry up and fix it by locking down harder, that your kid will never learn. But you're suggesting they learn differently.
2: Yeah. And again, there's a lot between locking it down and nothing, right? My kids having a massive tantrum in the ice cream store. I'm not sitting next to my child there and just being like, Mm -hmm. let out the feelings, right? There's like so much in between. But I think we've been so steeped in this like behavioral mindset. We've just like come to accept it as if it's true. And from a behavioral standpoint, it's like, I can't reinforce things behavior. And if I just ignore it or let it happen, if I don't come down harshly, my child's going to think it's okay to treat me that way or to do these things. So I have to show them, right? That's a theory. That's not a fact. And here's what I know about humans, that if I had a really bad day, you know, those days where you're doing a million things and nothing's going your way. Okay. Let's say it's that day. And then my husband comes home and he's like, oh, you didn't, you didn't get more milk? Like something totally innocent. We all know how I'm going to react. I'm not just going to say mm. borderline innocent, borderline innocent. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Borderline incident, right? And I say, you don't do anything in this family and I hate you and whatever. Maybe that's not even true. Actually, in my family, it's not even true, but I'd probably react that way anyway. Now, that's not an okay way to talk to my husband, even if I'm upset. Just like it's not okay for my kid to say, I hate you to me when I say no to a sleepover. You're allowed to be upset, but you're not allowed to say that to me. Fine. But if my (laughs) husband said to me in that moment, I have to crack down on this. Becky, go to your room. (laughs) or I don't even know. Becky, I'm not talking to you for a week. Like, Okay, let's think about that. And then let's think if my husband was like, Becky, whoa, that was not okay the way you responded to me. And you must be upset about something beyond my asking. And honestly, I care more about all of that than I do about the way it came out in your words. And so like, maybe we just both need to cool down. But then let's actually talk about it because it sounds like you had a hard day. I want to know a person who's like, in that situation thinking, wow, my husband just reinforced my rudeness. And he's letting me know that it is okay to talk to him that way. And tomorrow, I'm going to be more likely to be rude to him because he came at me from this place of understanding. I just really don't think that's the way humans think. I really don't, right? Now, might you have to say, hey, you've been doing this often, like what's really going on? Maybe that could happen. But I just think humans aren't just governed by behavioral reinforcement principles, number one. And the other thing we really forget with our kids is that it's like our kids come into the world with every feeling we have and zero coping skills. like They are literally just like (laughs) raw wires. That is a really hard way to live. And because we worry, oh no, we do something I call a fast forward error. Like we see a kid do something at five and then all of a sudden we've filled in the blanks that they're gonna be like Mm -hmm. 15 doing the exact same. Like we've just missed 10 years of development, like 10 years. And then we respond today based on our anxiety and fear, not based on what's happening in front of us. So I would say to parents, number one, Even you would know that if someone comes at you with a boundary, but also kindness, that's not reinforcing your behavior. It's probably what you need. Number two, our kids actually don't have the skills. They don't have anywhere close to the skills that hopefully you are going to help them develop throughout their childhood. We kind of have to trust ourselves and trust development. You know, that doesn't mean do nothing, but I think it's why if we have a parenting approach, that makes sense and we can look at our kids with generosity, we become less focused on our single reaction to a behavior and much more invested in, in the overall process.
1: We've been talking to Dr. Becky Kennedy. Her new book is Good Inside, a guide to becoming the parent you want to be. Dr. Becky, tell our listeners about all the places they can find you.
2: So goodinside.com is the home to everything Good inside. So from there, you can find my book, goodinside.com backslash book or just navigate to it. From there, also, you can sign up for my Thursday email. It's like really where I just put my organized thoughts in one place. That's called Good Insider. And then all my social media is there. And then my whole membership platform is there as well. And that comes from the fact that I feel like parents need not only resources, but they also need community and expert support to really both have frameworks and strategies that work for them, but also get answers to their personal questions to tweak things in a way that feel right for them. And so a whole digital library with all my workshops and scripts and short videos, and then a really large global community and parenting coaches trained in the good inside approach doing live events and answering questions. That's all a part of the membership.
0: Awesome. I loved this conversation. It really had some eye-openers for me.
2: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. I love talking with both of you and look forward to doing it again soon.
1: Thanks so much. Thanks, Dr. Becky. Well, hey there, Busy Mama.